welcome back to the Poplar Tapes. Uh, we've got something a little bit different for you today, which we're really excited about. We were fortunate enough to be joined by Ryan and Eloise, who are two uh, friends based out of uh, Montreal. Ryan is now a law student and Eloise is a social worker, but uh, they joined us today to talk about their experiences being involved in autonomous zones in Greece, uh, what the work there was like, how it shaped them and their politics, and how those experiences can be uh, carried forward into the present. Uh, we had a lot of fun having this conversation and uh, getting to know one another a little bit. Um, so I hope that this will appeal to you on that level as well. It's kind of a way to have some fun and uh, hang out in the, the social void that is this uh, current pandemic. So yeah, really excited about this and uh, hope you will like it also. Okay, let's get into it here. Yeah, do you guys just want to introduce yourselves, uh, let folks know who you are and, you know, what you're up to these days? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, uh, my name's Ryan, and I'm a student right now. I'm, uh, I'm studying law. I used to be a musician, and I went on this, what was originally supposed to be a short trip that ended up being much longer, uh, ending up in Greece and in <laughs> Athens, and... Uh, Happy to share my experiences there. And I'm Eloise. Sorry, I'm francophone, so uh, my English is not the best. Um, and I'm a social worker working in Montreal in a Housing First program. And I spend uh, time in, in Athens, too. Mm -hmm. uh, Awesome. Which coincidentally is where we met. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, Housing First program, that actually sounds really cool too. I hope we can get into that. I kind of work in a similar uh, field these days, so um, maybe we'd have some some overlapping yes. experiences. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, Alex, you want to kind of jump in here, ask a few yeah, questions? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, uh, okay, well... Uh, I guess I guess uh, to begin, it would be cool to get to know how you yeah just got involved in uh, in Greece. What what brought you to Greece, uh, and um, uh, you know what kind of uh, work were you doing there? Yeah, so um, if you want, I can go first here. Um, sure. well, honestly, it's 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 a very uh, uh, let me see here. Honestly, it's it, it started out pretty randomly. Um, I was uh, thinking of going back to school, and I figured I'd take a trip before starting that. And I figured I might as well do something useful while I was traveling. So um, I, I was very uh, ill-informed about uh, uh, the details of what was going on in, in Europe. So I figured I'd go in and find out for myself and um, started out in Thessaloniki, which is the, the second largest city in Greece in the north of Greece. And there I was working uh, a little bit with uh, unaccompanied minors. So unaccompanied minors, of course, being uh, people who have um, come into the territory uh, who are under 18, children, kids, uh, without any other family members. Uh, and these kids were uh, being housed in a small camp. So I was working uh, with them 
doing activities, music stuff, uh, sports stuff. Um, nice. It was going well, and and then uh, one of my best friends has a sister who was at this project uh, down in Athens. And I thought, well, this person's super cool. She's super intelligent. If she's there, uh, it must be a good a good scene. Uh, so I just kind of found myself in, uh, dropped into the uh, neighborhood of Exarchia in downtown Athens, uh, getting involved very quickly with uh, the community project where Eloise and I met named Cora. So, yeah. Yeah. And uh, for me, so uh, I'm I'm coming from France. So um, I was there working with um, um, like people living in the street, and there is a lot in my region uh, migrant people. So I was doing like claim for asylum and these kind of things. And one of my best friends was on a trip that you know uh, a trip around the world playing music, blah blah. And then he arrived. He's a nurse. When he arrived in Athens. Uh, he met some people that told him, uh, okay, well, you're a nurse, you have to come in, in Exarchia in the squads because there are like so much needs there. And so he went there and he just ended up spending a lot of time there. And he came back in France and told me about his experience. And um, I knew about Exarchia because of uh, the reputation of the district and uh, <laughs> So um, I we we try to just uh, earn money for for this project of clinic in the squads, and then in the end I said okay uh, I will go too, and so I I begin in the squads um, just a few weeks, and then I discovered this place uh, Cora and I was just I just wanted to be to be there so I, I stayed there. <laughs> Yeah. Super cool. And so that's interesting. Eh? It almost, uh, it starts uh, for, at least for you, Ryan, and then uh, Eloise for your friend as more of a whimsical trip around the world, play some music, and it uh, kind of collision with reality. It got a bit more serious in terms of um, what the actual experience was like and what uh, the needs were of the people there. And you kind of just uh, stepped up to the plate there a bit, eh? Is that yeah. fair to say? I mean, that was uh, absolutely, and that was kind of the ethos of uh, of the project itself was a bunch of people find themselves there. There's all this stuff that needs to be done. For some reason, it's not being done. What can we do to, to make this better? And so just that, that resourcefulness that um, we saw with with all sorts of people coming from all over the world um in terms of just trying to make life better for everyone and then transforming that into what can uh, transforming that into to a, a, a new vision of what life can actually be for all of us mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's really cool yeah, a little uh, a little promise of the future there at the same time. Yeah. And so who um, – so was it the local community who organized uh, this Cora place in the first place or um, well, how did that work? Yeah, I mean if you want we can do a bit of like a, a background kind of thing about um, kind of the whole situation. Yeah, that'd yeah, be, that'd be, that'd be awesome. yeah. 
That'd be great. Yeah. So uh, let's see. Um, should we start with uh, background on Exarchia or uh, background on uh, uh, the the quote unquote so called migrant crisis uh, and how that fell into? Uh... Uh, let's let's start with Exarchia. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So. Um, so Exarchia is a neighborhood in Athens, um, well known uh, for being uh, kind of a hotbed for alternative thought and experimentation, uh, and historically very important uh, because um, in the latter half of the 20th century, Greece was under a dictatorship, and uh, kind of the, 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 the popular movement uh, to overthrow the dictator um, the, some of the central sites for that were the universities. And there was one university in particular, the Polytechnio, uh, which is a, 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 an institute in Exarchia, where there was lots of uh, mobilization uh, to, to overthrow this dictator, uh, the dictatorial government. Um, so massive protests, occupations, all this stuff, to the point where um, it, it culminated in this moment, and actually, we're we're just uh, we've just passed the anniversary of, of what's called the Polytechnio uprising, where the the military uh, literally invaded uh, the university. Uh, they used tanks to break down the barricades, and students were killed. And this is the turning point in uh in 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 this this movement that culminated in uh the dictator being overthrown um and kind of cemented uh exarchia's place as uh this 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 um space for uh revolutionary imagination if we'd like to say that nice <laughs> so uh so um of course uh then this 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 kind of infrastructure builds up within the neighborhood. Um, it becomes a, a, a hotbed, especially for anarchist thought. So within the neighborhood of Exarchia, there is a, a strong pushback against having police in the neighborhood, having banking institutions in the neighborhood, and uh, this only got more present and stronger after the uh, the two thousand eight worldwide financial crash, which created havoc all over Greece. Um, so within that context, we see states completely failing what they say their, their, their responsibilities are. Um, and instead, a kind of alternate infrastructure, again, to create different kinds of institutions that are centered upon direct participation, sense of community, um, and mutual aid. Uh, so Exarchia really, to me, is, is this space of um, experimental transition where you can imagine and really easily put into place alternative structures which are much more interested in, in actual human dignity. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> True. <Yeah>. And... Uh, <laughs> and and actually giving people proper agency to run things. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. after that, oh, that's right. yeah, that is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it, was, yeah. it was really special to, yeah. to be able to be a part of that mm -hmm. for, for the for time. Real. Mm -hmm. 
So then dropped into this in the midst of a lot of, of um, total disrepair uh, that, that Greece was facing in the financial crisis. Of course, people moving from Syria, but also Afghanistan, Iraq, uh, from, you know, there's, a, there's this migration. I think what we called the migrant crisis was mainly due to Syrian war. Uh, and uh, we all seen these pictures of people in, in the shore of Greece trying to find a place where they could be safe. And after 2008, a lot of buildings in Athens were empty. And Exarchia, the people that were there, they were candy of the only ones. So you can imagine all these people there. The, the border were, were closed for a moment after they were open and then they were closed again. People were just living on the streets, families, everybody, a whole society in, in the parks of Athens. And in Exarchia, the police wasn't allowed to enter and they opened all these squats in all these empty buildings. And that's really why there were so many people, migrant people in this place is because they were, it was the only place where they weren't chased and they were like allowed to stay. And it's because of the anarchist movement that opened these squads. And then mm -hmm. after like also autonomous people that were like running these squads, migrant people that were basically running the squads. So uh, the conditions were, were, were bad. I mean, it's not like the best, but uh, it was like... Better than the camps. Yeah, better than the yeah. camps. And, and just better than the street. The street. So it was just this whole movement. And also Exarchia, because it's, it's known for what it is, it's, it's also a urban like, meeting point for, for a lot of people. So... Mm -hmm. Lots, lots of people like try to help in this. Uh, so you might say that a lot of the kind of political autonomists and the people who had participated in the uprisings against the dictatorship and kind of had imagined these new forms of life together in um, these kind of renewed urban centers, like they were the ones who, um, from if I'm picking up what you guys are laying down here. Uh, they're the ones who sort of rose to the challenge and stepped in where the state was willing to uh, kind of abandon people or allow them to um, be, you know, sequestered away in camps and uh, this kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Would that be fair? Yeah. yeah I would go even, even beyond that to say that uh, beyond just uh, individuals, it's, it's this idea of this movement which which Exarchia uh, exemplified um, that's beyond just any individual person. That's this idea of working in solidarity with with each other, which made it a magnet for people who had those same ideas, um, yeah. which created this space, which was extraordinarily creative, and mm -hmm. and was able to adapt and respond. Uh, to what we call a manufactured crisis. Because if we go back to 2015, especially, that's when the photo of Alan Kurdi uh, gets released. And all of a sudden, there's this kind of worldwide awakening to, wait, what the hell is going on in the Mediterranean? Um, Europe generally 
freaked out. (laughs) And we had uh, closing of borders. We had this criminalization of movement, things that I'll put on my my law student hat, things that are against international law, against European law, (laughs) against national law. I cannot repeat this enough. It is not illegal to cross a border to ask for asylum. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. simply not. Yeah. Like it's in the Geneva Convention. And yet what was happening, people were um, being criminalized, being put into camps, um, especially on the islands in the Aegean, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. where people's movement were restricted and were not supposed to leave the islands in, in essentially these open air prisons. Mm-hmm. So all this money is being used to create a problem where if you just let people move <laughs> properly, mm-hmm. let people just live their lives, let people be human and become a part of the communities that exist, then then we have no problem. <laughs> it's these <laughs> putting up these walls, putting up these borders that 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 creates the problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a huge amount of animus and resistance uh against the migrant though and like these kind of discourses are highly racialized and Mm -hmm. very kind of um you know what i would describe as as fearful right um like there's a kind of uh this protectionist like kind of conservative impulse that says you know that um, other people, other cultures are a threat to um, my own uh, security. And it's interesting that you use the language of um, of criminalization there, like it, which says to me that it's not viewed as a political issue so much as a, um, a, a kind of criminal issue in that way. We're talking about prison and criminalization. I think that's a really interesting kind of um, shifting of the terrain where it's not seen as political. Because especially when you think about, um, at least from my perspective, uh, you know, the Syrian war and uh, where so many of these folks would be uh, kind of fleeing from, like that that's explicitly a, a, a political conflict, you know, like we're talking about the West being involved in it, uh, numerous of these uh, states in various ways. And, you know, these are kind of the domino down the line effects of things like the Iraq war and war in Afghanistan and that kind of thing. And so it's interesting that the response at home doesn't kind of um, draw some of those connections maybe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, <laughs> you want to go all the way back like this is we're still like in the real-time legacy of colonialism writ large right um and and it's not by coincidence that uh certain countries have a shit ton of wealth and certain countries don't and and that's by design and we're still living that and we have to be honest about that and start dealing with that in 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 a proper equitable way for real and so for you, was that kind of, um, was that obvious to you going in, you know, or are some of those insights things that um, maybe crystallized or became uh, more more meaningful or more nuanced through these uh, experiences working in the communities uh, in Exarchia? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, um, you know, uh... I was just in a class and, and the, the person was talking about having book knowledge and then having 
you know, real on the ground knowledge. Yeah. It's like you can be aware of certain things, but then you get on the ground and you see the ways that this that states like to use the discourse of human rights, for example. And then their actions betray the exact opposite. And so in this situation, you know, you, you, you choose what how you're going to respond, right? And so that's kind of, I think, what everyone who who passed through, you know, Greece or, I mean, you know, Italy or, or wherever um, had that moment of thinking, okay, well, what, what can I do? And the answer is kind of a lot. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, just out of curiosity, because uh, both of you had been talking about exarchia and placing a big emphasis on exarchia as this kind of alternative political movement that is a center for political experimentation, experimentation of uh, political organizing, you know, a place that helps create uh, human relationships and build human dignity. And I'm, I'm just curious to know if there are other projects similar to what's kind of been happening in this movement elsewhere in Greece, and if that's kind of spread around, like if people are going to the center in Greece, gaining these knowledges, and then building community centers in other areas of Greece, or is it like, has has the connection mainly been between like Athens and Thessaloniki, or? Yeah, I mean, I would say, um, and this is why I talk about the idea of movement, mm -hmm. uh, particularly, yeah. um, because there are autonomous zones um, uh, elsewhere in, in Greece and Europe generally, and there are uh, a whole network of solidarity projects um, that you can tap into. But for example, Exarchia specifically, um, like we were there mostly in 2017, and since then uh, there have been severe crackdowns in Exarchia. Uh, especially with the elections last year in Greece in the summertime uh, where the, the, the new conservative government came into power and promised, a, a, what was it? It was something like, uh, there, there was actually literally rhetoric of cleaning up all the garbage in Exarchia. So that meant uh, police raids. <laughs> forceful evictions of all the squats mm. um and and kind of a, a an attempt to 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 destroy it, destroy it. Mm. yeah but that's the thing is that yes you can you can target the place but the ideas you know the inspiration that it gave that can't be torn down mm -hmm. and so it follows everyone who spent time and passed through that so that's really important Mm -hmm. I would add also that Greek people have their own ways and they are kind of anarchists in, in a sense, just because they are Greek. So, <laughs> <laughs> just because, I don't know, it's because they are Greek. Mm -hmm. And you can find these this kind of ways that the system is one thing and we can do other way. And um, yeah, I think it's also in, in this culture, maybe also Mediterranean culture in a way, you know, like trying to find 
other ways. There is a joke saying that uh, the half of the Greek people, they are working for the government and the other half is working in the black market. So <laughs> it's a joke, but it's also telling something about Greek people and they always find a way, you know, to to deal with the situation because uh, they were like, they, they were suffering so much after the 2008 crisis, but they also have a history of, of, um, of crisis and difficulties. So they always have ways to, to deal with things. Yeah, definitely building upon that. Like, yeah, as, as we already talked about with the dictatorship, as one example, there's a long history of resistance in Greece. Uh, and a long history of hardship too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I, I, for me, it's not a, a, a coincidence that these kinds of projects happened in Greece because there's that sense of mutual aid. There is that sense of needing to create alternate structures to mm-hmm. actually not only it's, it's, and it's not only about giving services and, and making sure that everyone can just get by day to day, but creating the sense of community um, where people's just fundamental humanity is allowed to be on display and is recognized and is celebrated. Um, so yeah, uh, you, you see that throughout Greece. Yeah. Yeah. I love that, that notion of like, not just surviving the hardship, but thriving through mm-hmm. it, you know, it becomes kind of an opportunity to really experience human life and human dignity in some new and really kind of beautiful ways. And even coming from maybe like a very safe and stable society, quote unquote, you know, um, in the way that like Canada or France or something is usually presented that um, nonetheless, you can kind of go there and like pick up that, uh, pick up the spark that like, oh, wow, there's something really incredible here, you know, or so often I think, um, people who do live within the kind of imperial centers uh, have this psychology where they're like, oh, like, I'm so glad that I live in this country. It could be so much worse, you know, and really there's there's a real kind of humanity that comes through in those uh, points of like breakdown and crisis. I'm reminded of the uh, uh, the quote from the Spanish anarchist, is it? Uh, you guys know this? Uh, Buenaventura de Ruti? where he says uh you know we are not in the least bit afraid of afraid of the ruins because we will inherit the earth mm. and uh mm-hmm. yeah that's kind of what i this is kind of what it sounds to me like you guys are talking about you know this place that has suffered these intense crackdown after crackdown and mm. um you know is dealing with the ruins and the wreckage but there's this kind of confidence that like that's mm. actually not something to fear yeah, yeah. and i think that's a really beautiful thought yeah yeah, the yeah. land will overgrow uh, the ruins, you know. Of course. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wonder if we'd want to um, just shift gears a little bit and talk about, like, you know, in the aftermath of the experience in in your own lives, you know, um, how has that shaped you as you've kind of uh, moved back to your living in Montreal? You know, how has that kind of informed your experience of uh, living there and what life is like? And Eloise, you said you were a social worker even prior to yes, yes. going to Greece. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is kind of like part of that larger trajectory. So I was just curious if you have any kind of thoughts or reflections about um, those experiences. Do you want to go? No, no. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I'd say like in order to to talk about that, 
I'd have to talk a little bit more about Cora, this community center where we were at, and the way that it functioned and 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 kind of the idea behind it. Um, yeah. So let, let let me let me jump into this and 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 I'll try and tie it back uh, at the end of this circle here. Awesome. <laughs> um, so so Cora. Uh, was originally uh, uh, one building. It was a community center um, in Athens. Uh, it was this massive building um, with eight different floors uh, that provided all sorts of kinds of services. Okay, so, and, and the whole idea of Cora was to do things right, you know? <laughs> so, like, what I mean by that is, for example, originally in the basement, uh, it was a whole workshop space. And all of the construction, the whole renovation of the building, uh, all the furniture, everything was all uh, upcycled material, everything done like sur place there in the workshop, for example. There was a massive kitchen that would, that would serve you know, over 700 meals a day. There was an education space where I was most active in, where we'd have like about 300 students pass through every day. There was a place where families could leave their kids in kind of a, a daycare when they had either they were going to a class or they um, were working with the legal clinic on their asylum cases. Uh, there is a women's space. There was also, so like at one point there was like, there was a dentistry in this place. Like it, so it was massive. <laughs> okay. <That's incredible. laughs> to make that, that building run there, there needed to be 80, 80 volunteers a day. And not and and this was the thing about Cora. There there was no there was there was no money. Like literally everyone who was there was a volunteer. Um and what was crucial was this idea of trying to uh break down the barriers between people and the hierarchies between people. Um so this meant organizationally, it was organized in, uh, in a non-hierarchical manner based on consensus, consensus decision-making. And there is also not, you could say it, like the semi-cliche solidarity, not charity was, was the vision in the sense of not trying to like get a bunch of white people coming to give bags of clothes to people, <laughs> but rather creating a space where everyone works together. Okay. So, uh, at the time we were there, volunteers, it was like half Western volunteers, half volunteers from, uh, migrant or refugee communities themselves. I mean, also worth noting that I was technically a migrant there. I mean, we, we have this <laughs> racialization of, of, of migration, but, uh, yeah. anyways, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so the whole point of that is to break down these hierarchies, which allows you to really engage people on, on just a very fundamentally human level. You're going through this all together. There's a, a sense of support um, and, and, and this sense of common purpose that energizes everyone together to somehow do incredible things um, and that everyone's place is acknowledged. Everyone's work is respected and everyone knows that they're needed. 
And this is a really powerful thing in the context we're talking about, where um, a lot of the experience of people who who would who would ask for asylum, for example, is is a very dehumanizing one, where you're rendered into a number. You're not allowed to do anything. You're not allowed to work. You're really segregated from society, mm-hmm. and you're said you're 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 you're, and you're told that your human capacity is not valid or needed. Mm-hmm. Whereas a space like this, everyone's talents, everyone's brilliance, everyone's humanity is able to to shine um, and be appreciated. So. If I can tie that back to the original question, <laughs> I'd say for me that just the power of people is what has always followed me. So that translates into that we are, we're capable of more change than we believe that we think we are. We're capable of creating things that we didn't think were possible. We're capable of breaking down barriers that seem so rigid and permanent and, and, and fundamentally that we're all human and uh, everyone benefits when that's recognized. Uh, yeah. Nice. That's beautiful. Yeah, it really was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so, so, so that was, that was Cora and, and, um, and I should, I should attend this because, um, when we were there, it was originally the one big building and as often happened, these solidarity movements were targeted, right? I mean, we already talked about that in terms of the, the squats being evicted. Um, Cora got threatened with a hundred thousand euro fine. Core wasn't a squat. We were paying rent and everything, mm-hmm. but because of the work that was being done, you know, there were municipal violations, which uh, apparently somehow total totaled to one hundred thousand dollars. So the so the option was pay the fine, or uh, or shut down. So capitalism's coming in here, and it's just like, all right, like give yeah, us some exactly. money. Like we got to be yeah. able to profit off of this. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also again an example of this resilience we were talking about. Yeah. We're not talking about individuals. We're talking about a movement, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, since then, uh, Core has evolved, and there are now three spots that run under the Core of Banner. There's uh, there's a free shop where um, literally it's set up like a store. But everything's free, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, this is for uh, mainly for clothing, and and this is again trying to break down these divides where it's not the person behind the counter rendering a service just giving you a shirt, but it's treating you as you know a human being that wants to choose what you want to wear, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you can shop around and take what you want. Second space is a, a cafe kitchen space. Um, which has been doing a lot of work in the pandemic where, of course, you, you can't have large gatherings, you can't have restaurant spaces open. And I, there's a great article that a, a volunteer wrote about how, like, over the course of the week, they completely shifted the way they were running things. 
to provide uh, a whole system of delivery of food to people in need throughout the city. And they were delivering like a thousand meals a day kind of thing, cooking it on site and then delivering it uh, on bikes and, and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a third space, um, which uh, there's that's where the legal clinic landed. Uh, there's a maker's space as well, but it's also a space where other community projects can come share the space and there can be that, that kind of, um, transfer of information and, and this mutual support. Uh, so yeah, so that's where, where things are at right now. Awesome. Alex, you have any kind of thoughts bouncing off that one? Um, well, uh, I I was actually curious. Uh, yeah, I wanted to see if uh, uh, you wanted to talk a bit about uh, uh, your experiences too, Eloise, or um, maybe elaborate on some of those reflections. <laughs> Unless uh, you know, uh, I'm sure I'm sure that a lot of those res- those words resonated as well. So. Yes, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. On a more pragmatic way, I can say that I've never worked more than there. You know? <laughs> and uh, it was very hard. I was working in the legal team, so dealing with the cases and you know traumas, and it was very hard. But uh, what Ryan say was true. Like we had this energy because we knew we were doing something effective on the side, on the way, in a way, and and just entering this building and knowing that everybody here is working for free and giving his time and his money. Um, and we had this, uh, this, this desk at the entrance where people were asking questions. And, and yeah, some people came and I have like some friends now just came and asked for, you know, I, I don't know, can I have some clothes? I don't know, I don't know. And two weeks after they were working in, in the cafe or something. And they changed. They totally changed because what Ryan said. They they had the they had find a place where they could like just have a purpose, a reason to wake up in the morning and not just think about the horrible things they they were living and they had lived. So it was just very very nice um, for for especially like for everybody. But uh, I remember like uh, some some very young guys who were like super lost and uh, it's difficult for uh, men that are alone and uh, just finding a place where they can make relationship and and you know and have a voice because there is no hierarchy so you can talk and we had this fabulous <laughs> big meeting where like one I don't know 80 person in the same room translated in five languages trying to make a decision <laughs> on something you know wow. so maybe it's not wow. the most effective thing but it just gives you the sense that mm. that you can you can you know your voice counts and um and if I can relate that to my job um it's hard because I sometimes I don't feel my voice count <laughs> and I don't feel the voice of the participant of the program count. So yeah. it's hard. And uh, yeah, just make me want to try to bring that 
in every place I am and just uh, trying to make like participation. Participation is the most important thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's almost like uh, with, with hierarchies uh, in, in workplaces and stuff that uh, you do, you really do have all these people kind of operating on these different levels and these currents of thought. And like, there's, there can be so much lack of communication between, uh, between these levels. You know, and it's uh... yeah, and also like we we show there are studies showing that if you're not good in your work, you're gonna you're gonna go up and up and up, <laughs> and you said <laughs> you see that yeah. you see that in social work, like some manager people that go out of management school that are managing managing uh, social work uh, social workers, and. And they don't know like what they are talking about. I really believe sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in in like okay, you can have authority on mm. people if you have knowledge. Mm. You know, I really recognize that mm. knowledge uh, is is giving you authority. Sometimes it's good. Mm. You have to follow the person that knows. Mm. But uh, because of our hierarchy system. Mm-hmm. It's often people that knows that are not listened at, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. for sure. Knowledge counts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 yeah you're punished for having certain kinds of knowledge, you know. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, and certain kinds of knowledge yes. are silenced, you know, because of that. Yeah. You know? so, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Don't have too much knowledge yeah. about these about these people. You know, we don't want to hear. Yeah. That, exactly. Right? <laughs> but you can also see why. You can also see why so much uh um like why there can be so many social problems and social issues when there is this incredible lack of a you know a platform for uh these voices and these stories and these forms of communication right and like uh if if you know if if structurally speaking um uh we have uh, all of these gaps uh, in communication, then like logically there is, uh, you know, your organizing structure is going to be problematic because like people aren't like, there's just so much miscommunication or just like lack of it. Right. So, Mm -hmm. And I feel like, of course it's like so evident when you're talking about migrant population, Mm -hmm. but in general that, the common people don't think their voice counts and they're mm-hmm. like, they are giving the, their voice to somebody else that is going to make decision. And it leads, leads to um, feeling that there is no hope in, and I'm just gonna, you know, think, sit at the back of the car and, and not really care about what's going on around me. Mm-hmm. And yeah. when you have this impression and reality that your voice counts, and then you get involved and you can have this energy that uh, we had, you know, and so many people had to, mm-hmm. to do, a, to do a important work. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, all of this has been um, uh, really, really inspiring, actually, especially uh, these stories uh, about Exarchia and uh, uh, everything that you guys experienced in Quora and how that's shaped you because um we we did a Keegan and I did a our previous episode on um, on like post capitalism and uh, Mark Fisher and I'm seeing so many uh, overlaps with uh, with what you guys have been talking about and how 
you know, how uh, these community organizations kind of uh, rose up out of the ruins of the economic crisis in 2008 and out of these uh, ruins of uh, imperial warfare. And it's really these immediate kinds of structural experiments that communities can build together and people can build together. It's really through these projects and these movements that we can push the boundaries of our imagination and and also you know begin to imagine uh worlds that could outlive capitalism or outlive crisis you know and because that that is something that uh, really conditions, I think, a lot of our experiences today are like catastrophe narratives and crises, you know, especially with the turn of uh, the millennium and uh, uh, mass internet, you know, we're, we have this like connection to just crises after crises all around the world. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and uh, uh, growing up, uh, especially for people from the 90s onwards, you know, uh, uh, we were introduced to narratives of climate catastrophe and that's just perpetual right and uh it's just these kinds of knowledges and these experiences are so so important for the future you know and uh and for the present obviously yeah i was having a similar thought about the connections to like our previous discussion around um like imagining new possibilities beyond the end of capitalism you know and i think so many of the narratives that people latch onto are, um, yeah, these stories of like apocalypse of like the war of all against all, you know, it's like, Oh, this state of nature where everyone's really brutal and like, you're going to kill your neighbor. And, stuff. and it's like, you know, these are the most uninspiring, like weak ass, like narratives ever. And then when you actually hear, hear the stories like from the ground of these, um, uh, moments where there are these kind of social breakdowns, you just hear, oh, it's actually this incredible breakthrough where, um, you know, human beings actually come together in solidarity and um, mm-hmm. in that sense of relationship and love for one another and like lift each other up, mm-hmm. you know, and it's pretty much the exact opposite of what we're kind of told that it's going to be, you know, mm-hmm. and I think that I find that really striking mm-hmm. and uh, really inspiring as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And especially within like that context, I mean, there is this, this common uh, media portrayal where all, all that you hear about <clears throat> is, is crisis and destitution and, Oh, so sad. And, and, <laughs> and the thing is that that in itself is dehumanizing. Because it says all that this person is good for is, you know, all that they're about is loss and destruction. Mm -hmm. In fact, totally erases the fact that Mm -hmm. this person, you know, uh, is also a doctor or is an engineer or makes like a a killer chickpea curry or (laughs) like, you know, fixed my bike or reached out to me when I was really, really down or, or is this magnificent artist? Like you, 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 you can't just focus on, on that one uh, crisis narrative portrayal because then you miss the, the richness of human experience that we all, all have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
uh, what you were saying, I really like, of course, is always in our mind, I think. And I feel like when you break the bubble of comfort, that is also bringing us a lot of loneliness and despair and depression and medication, blah, blah, blah. When you break that, you just need, you just need more the other. And so you have this solidarity that everybody needs each other, but um, it's it's not dark. It's beautiful. It's just uh, more link with people and um, less comfort maybe, but more more relationship. And that's I think we are all relationship. We are all about relationship actually. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's it. Maybe if I can just like bounce off something that's just been kind of in my mind uh, as we've been having this talk. And Eloise, I was just thinking about your experience now coming back and getting engaged in this kind of social work stuff. And you're talking about the bubble, which involves the medication uh, for the depression and so on. And so I just thinking about this kind of community building stuff, because, you know, in in my line of work, like uh, this is kind of what we're interested in as well, um, is, uh, you know, how do you do community building well and how do you kind of, uh, provide for people, but not only provide, like give them opportunities to really thrive. And so like I'm working in this, um, house right now, which is, um, a place for kind of people who have experienced homelessness and, uh, to, just live. I mean, it's just a house. Like it's, that's pretty much what it is. And, uh, but it, it, you know, there's all these kind of incredible challenges that, that come up, but I, I would say that kind of the biggest thing that's like daily, um, on my mind is this question of addiction and, uh, drug addiction. And so often like our attempts to kind of make community spaces are, uh, kind of run up against the demands of um, addiction and um, the way that that affects people's lives, you know? And so I was curious, like in, uh, in, in the context of Cora, was that something that you dealt with, you know, was, were, were there kind of significant issues around um, substance use and addiction? And then if not, or if so, how does that compare and contrast to kind of your experience coming back and doing social work here? Okay, so I think, um, let me think. (laughs) It's definitely very present here, and I feel it was less present in Cora. But the reason why it's hard, like, I think it's a mix of a lot of things. Um, Maybe there, like, when you just arrive and you try to just survive, then it's not like what happened the first maybe, but it came out like after a moment, for example, for, for young um, men alone, like they were like more drawn into that uh, after a moment. And I link that personally also with the fact that what Ryan was saying, like dehumanizing, and then you just want to draw yourself and you just want to forget everything you have you have bring with us all with you all your trauma and then you're right in a place where you are like considered as an animal and i mean we are all animals <laughs> but <laughs> as you know as a beast especially for 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 men uh, and and you have 
like also way to earn money is to sell drugs. So this happened uh, after a moment that um, we were seeing that less inside Cora. I think also because we were really trying to create a safe place. And when when you feel that you're you are respected, uh, you I feel that you're more willing to respect that you know space, and um, of course like we would never like it, it wasn't even a question to call the police, of course, <laughs> and there is like this kind of thing that is created by itself. That it's a safe place. We want to to make it like our own, and we have our voice, and we are respected. So, like I don't know, we didn't encounter like big problematic of drug addiction or or others actually uh, things. Sorry if I'm not very clear. I'm just trying to think at the same time. Oh, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, there is like in 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 the participant of the program I work with here. There are a lot of people that have or had addictions, and yeah, for I mean there is never a simple reason or a simple answer to the question why somebody is using and using in a way that is giving him problems. Uh, because that's you know that's the first thing we have to say about drug ad- drug addiction is like what is their problem you know like and what what are the problem for you um, so that's the first thing but the other thing is like yeah I see like some people have had just the fact that to have a place to live and. And again, feel respected and more involved in the society. They they have decreased their their consumption. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the other hand, some people have increased because they feel alone. They don't have connections. So as you said, like all the work is trying to create connection in their place, like around them, and um, show them that. They are useful and they they know a lot of things and they can be part of it. And, you know, but it's very difficult when you have been rejected, like for what you are all your life. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's really the work, um, and doing like what we call significant activities, you know, like just things that make sense for you. And yeah. 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 Thanks for that. That's just, um, questions of like addiction are just on my mind a lot these days. Yeah. Uh, just given the the folks who I work around, and um, you know, I I love hearing all this stuff about community building, and I find it like so inspiring. And it's like, yes, this is exactly what I kind of want to be doing. And how do we bring this on board here? And what are the challenges? So I I, I appreciate you kind of taking the time to uh, think that one through a little bit too. I know it's a bit of a uh, bit of a more somber note yeah. <laughs> i can talk about that uh, kind of thing for hours <laughs> <laughs> and uh and uh, for you uh ryan i'm you are in law school now right and like what brought you to law school and you know are you going to specialize in anything or what is 
have those experiences brought like drawn you to law or what maybe tell us a bit about that <laughs> yeah um well well with law school it it has been a very uh very ambivalent experience um because uh yeah yeah going from uh anarchist neighborhood of athens to the law faculty is <laughs> perhaps not the most logical jump <laughs> and uh so yeah um yeah, it's something that uh, poor Louise has has seen me struggle through uh, and question a lot. Um, so I, I'd say maybe there are three things. One is that it's useful to know the structures which are around you in order to know why they're not functioning well. So that's the first thing. Second thing is when you're kind of in a gray zone legally, uh, it can be kind of useful to know the law <laughs> um, in order to to see what you're really dealing with. The third thing is, as much as um, I can say that the law has been uh, built to be a tool of oppression, and as much as I saw that, for example, in Greece, uh, and Many people see that and experience that in their day to day. Um, there are some times when you get put in front of a wall and you need someone who knows the legal system to help bail you out. There is a very practical knowledge that can be useful. Um, so to me, it's always about questioning and reflecting about the structure of, of, of the, of different legal systems, being critical of that. Um, but at the same time, always trying to, to build my knowledge that I can use it in the best way possible and to support people who are doing the work that I think is important for us to start constructing these new, new realities. Right. So yeah, but, but, but it can be uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, how much how much time do you have left uh, before you get a law I got, degree? Uh, I got about uh, two years left on the degree. Okay, okay. Yeah. yeah. We'll have to come back to you in two years. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I will say that I'm very fortunate because um, I, I, I have some great colleagues and great students that that uh, mean that I don't feel alone and who inspire me to think differently um, and have the same thing in Greece where people who uh, were either were self-educated legally or had done legal studies were just complete and total badasses. Uh, so I, I really look, look up to those people um, and am grateful for their influence. Awesome. Well, uh, we've, cracked over an hour in this conversation so maybe we can uh wrap up here yeah. but uh this has been uh yeah just so uh wonderful and inspiring like yeah. it's really lovely to meet you both and uh, to be able to kind of pick your brain about um such an impactful part of your own lives and how that fits into the 
uh, so nice to meet you. World. Yeah, yeah. 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 Nice to meet you too. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for, so, for inviting us. And, and, yeah. and yeah, I look forward to, to, to getting to know both of you a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, same. Yeah, Keegan, you'll have Amazing. to come up to Montreal sometime so we can all hang out. <laughs> I'll have to. I'll have to. Yeah. Maybe when the uh, life threatening uh, plague illness starts. <laughs> 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 can i can i add one thing and yeah, feel free to yeah. cut this out if if uh if it's if it's not cool no uh, no, no pressure at all but i i i feel like i want to make a plug because um uh cora is doing a fundraiser right now and that's another thing about cora is it's all private donations there is no uh state money no eu money um it's just that's what makes the place run uh, so the kitchen is, again, the kitchen that's uh, doing uh, food deliveries right now um, to, to help people who are in precarious uh, food situations uh, is doing a fundraiser right now. So um, if people are interested to learn more, you know, um, it'd be great. Just check out the website. And if you have a buck or something, a buck goes a long way in Greece. So, uh, mm -hmm. so yeah, check it yeah, out. Yeah, definitely. We'll uh, we'll put uh, awesome. we'll put a link in the show notes. Um, you should uh, send yeah. us a link. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I'd love to be able to support something like that. Yeah. And hopefully, we can uh, direct some material support their way. Yeah. yeah. When you so think great. of the thousands and thousands of dollars that we spend just like on university education, but then you have these like <laughs> other forms of knowledge production that are just completely outside of that. Gotta gotta put some money in there. Yeah, you got to. All right, awesome. Let's uh, wrap it there. So, thanks everyone yeah. for uh, listening. I hope that uh, you've got something out of this conversation. I know I did. I've learned a ton and uh, had a really fun time. And so, yeah, if you've made it with us this far, thank you uh, so much. Thank you, bye. Thanks, guys. <laughs>